Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 59. The latest research suggests that having a few extra pounds may raise your risk of severe COVID-19. According to the CDC, overweight individuals may be more likely to become seriously ill when infected with coronavirus. After a hospital stay for COVID, patients may face months of rehabilitation. Those patients who were critically ill with COVID-19 face difficult and long recoveries. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you? Are you fine today? <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. I don't know what to say. You don't know what okay. to say. We had a, you know, we had a lull. Things in July was going great. Now it's back to the way it was. So, whew. Yeah. So, I, me, and, me and Dr. Joe, your honey sweet, we will be following each other like a shadow. Yeah, so it's getting that bad again, huh? It's getting that bad again. Yes, it is. It's getting that bad again. And they, you know what? I didn't believe it when they said that there was going to be a surge when Dr. Fauci and everybody got on and said, I said, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. We got this. We got this under control. No, they were right. Mm. Which is why other people, cricket, need to listen to these guys. I was a non-believer. I said, no, it can't possibly be as bad as they say it's going to be. They never lie. Fauci and those guys never lied. They kept looking at the projections and this, that, and the other. They were absolutely right. And so now we better listen to the projections of what they're saying about the winter months. It's going to be even worse. If we think it's bad now when flu season hits, that's going to be a problem. Because the problem is you can't tell the symptoms. You know, they have similar symptoms. Wow. So the, the symptoms are the same as the okay. flu. So you got to figure out what which one you got, huh? Okay. Exactly. I mean, most people you tell with the flu, stay home, drink some hot, you know, take some aspirin or Tylenol or whatever you take and chill. But with this, it's hard to tell people who are active, who have active COVID and it's bad, stay home because that's how we've lost. We lost a lot of people early on in this disease, especially African-Americans who were told to stay home. And then they, by the time they came in, they died. Mm. Yeah. So that's the, that's the scoop. Yes, yes. 
Well, today we talk about hot topics and research articles that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new, hot topics number 59. Now, there's constant research and recommendations that are coming out lately that shows that having a few extra pounds and being overweight is related to more severe complications from COVID-19 if you become infected. Those findings are not surprising to all of us who are healthcare providers, physicians, or health fitness experts because of numerous evidence-based research that has shown that being overweight and obese leads to major health complications and chronic illnesses. So the question is, what can we do? Well, first, we should take a serious look at our lifestyle habits, and let's be honest with ourselves. Ask the question, what type of foods do I eat? Are they heart healthy? Do I eat mostly plant-based meals? Do I engage in some type of exercise every day? Now, those are simple, honest questions. And based on the answers to those questions, most of us know that we need to get serious and be consistent with engaging in healthy lifestyle habits. If we do that, then gaining control of our weight will happen pretty easily. So listen, folks, we have at least two months before this year ends. So stop making excuses and let's do what we need to do to lose those extra pounds and be healthy. Right, Dee? Absolutely. And listen, if you haven't already, go and check out our Vicido Fitness Health and Wellness website, vikidofitness.com. And while you are there, sign up for our newsletter email list to receive the updates about our new health wellness webinar trainings and online programs. Right now, we are showcasing our step-by-step weight loss bootcamp masterclass, our online health and fitness program, which is a 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. But you can also sign up for our free personal health and wellness webinar training, Get Back to Healthy Living. Now, these health and wellness programs are there for you to participate in and to get that healthy transformation that you have always wanted. So let's get started today. Let's get started. Let's live a healthy life. And remember, it's never too late. We are health fitness experts, and we are here to help you achieve your healthy living goals. And so I encourage you to take that step. Go directly to vikidofitness.com forward slash training to learn more about our Vikido Fitness online health wellness training programs today. And so I can't wait to meet you. As always, Dee, what do we always say? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Yes, we want to thank you guys for your support. Well, D, you know, it's interesting, you know, we keep talking to each other and I keep talking to my friends and family and so forth. And we're thinking about how things have changed since just a few months last year, right? And so folks still though, folks still are trying to hold on to what we used to do. But you know what? We can't do that, right? Those days are over, at least for now. Those days are over, at least 
for now. Yes, those days are over. And so I had a social distance breakfast with my friends. And so we ordered from one of the restaurants. This was near between Kent and Akron. We met up. We, uh-huh. we did our little curbside to each of our cars. Then we sat in our cars and talked to each other, ate our food together. And it was easy. That was our social stimulation, you know. And then it was great. We didn't have to be in the restaurant. Yeah, you have to adapt. You have to Humans ad- have a great ability to adapt. And this is one of those great, I mean, we can't, those days of sitting next to each other in the booth at Bob Evans, that's over. That is over. Yes. And so people, though, you know, we were, we were sitting in the parking lot and we were cracking up because the parking lot was packed with cars. People still going in there. And that's the part I can't understand. Yeah, you walk in there with your mask, but when you sit and eat, you're going to have to take your mask off. Right. You're still getting exposed. And there's still very, and there's still not a lot of social distancing. No, because you sitting, you know, they can't tear down the stuff and re, you know, do the tables. No. So no, I, they cannot. I don't know what we're going to do, though, D, right? We need a vaccine, a one that, but even when we get a vaccine, like you and I were talking earlier, it's going to be a while before the vast majority of people agree and are willing to come and take a vaccine, including why. I know, I know. So this will this will be our life for at least a couple more years. I think so as well. Yeah, we just got to get used to it. Yeah, just have to get used to it. Mm-hmm. So how was your week, Dee? So my week was kind of interesting. I went down to visit my mom, who turned last week 103, and that was interesting. I mean, it was tiring because over 48 hours I was on those planes, you know, which to worry about, I had put on Facebook the issue of, uh, I didn't have really a choice because I couldn't have driven down there and be back for work on Monday. So I put on my N95s and I had my shield on. But I tell people these planes are still not safe. They're packing people in those days of every other seat. Well, they're trying to make money. Right. And then they try to stop the HEPA filters. Well, yeah, the HEPA filters are better than nothing. However... They are only working when the engines are 100%, meaning when you're in the air. Mm. Sitting on the ground in those planes, you're sucking up everybody's air in that airplane. So I wanted people to be clear. Somebody said, well, you're flying, and you tell everybody else. No, I didn't tell people not to fly. I want to give you the information of what, because I know people have to fly, like for me, on emergency to see my mom, or some people now have jobs that require them to they want to feed their family, but you have to understand that whatever the airlines tell you, it's still not as safe as it could be because you still are not getting fresh and you're still in there with all those people. I was on American Airlines and I remember when I flew, oh, maybe it was in April when things weren't quite that bad and they were doing every other seat. Well, it was, I'm telling you, it was, it was so packed that on every plane that I went on, it was four. From Pittsburgh to Charlotte, Charlotte to Greensboro, Greensboro to Charlotte, Charlotte to Pittsburgh. They were asking people if they wanted to, you know how they'll we'll give you this, we'll stay off this plane so we can get more people. So people are flying. Wow. And I was the only one that I saw on there. Now masks are mandatory. But I think I was the only one on there with a shield and an N95. Wow. Well, I know people, you know, have to do certain things, but... Um, Planes are still not. I would still say if you don't have to fly, don't. But if you do, here's what you're up against. That's all I'm saying. 
That's it. So put as much gear on as you can. As much gear on as you can. You know, and mainly that in the, if you can get those N95s, KN95s, or some mask uh, that will give you some protection more than the surgical mask, I would say do that because while the engines, while the planes are sitting on the ground, those HEPA filters are not working. So I wanted to make sure that everybody knows that. They only work when you're in the air. And if you have a let, like, for example, we had an hour where we had to sit on the runway because the weather was really bad and they wouldn't let us fly. So we're sitting there. People are sitting on the tarmac. No, we were sitting at the gate. Mm-hmm. So the engines weren't running. Uh-huh. So for an hour, people who didn't have the N95 masks on were sucking up everybody else there and there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, a surgical mask gives you some protection, but it's not like an N95. So you're sitting there for an hour sucking up everybody's air until the engines are running and you're up in the air. That's the story. Wow. Right. Caveat, enter, buyer, beware, understand what you're up against. If you're, there were some people on the plane next to me. This was no going down to visit your mother because she's 103 and you can't get back or my job. These were couples that I saw and people that I saw going to Florida, mm. hot spot, for vacation. Mm. Yeah, more often than not. Oh, big time. I see people on Facebook. They doing, you know, chilling and enjoying. Yeah. yeah. We had 200 new cases. So let that sink in. That's the highest we've had for I don't know how long. 2,600 new cases of COVID. 20. And I told you, me and, and your honey sweet, we recognized this happening about a month ago. We looked at each other and we were like, what's going on? Well, here we are. And it's, and it's only... We're not even at the end of October. I know. People are hard-headed. That was the end of my week. That was it. Made it that safe and sound. So what is going on this week? Everything. Did you watch the Lakers? You know, (laughs) no. Me either. I wasn't into it. I don't Uh, know. No. I didn't. I mean, I just couldn't get into it. I mean, I've never really been a Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for Kobe's family mm-hmm. because they did a tribute to him. And, you know, I'm happy for LeBron because he's a hometown boy, Akron. But I just have never really been a, a Lakers fan. I mean, good for them. They lived in that bubble or whatever it was. Was it a bubble they lived in? Yeah, for what, Disney? You know, a part of I that? Mean, they lived in that was that where they did? Does that mean, Vicky, that they couldn't have any wives or girlfriends or anybody in there? It was isolated for just them. Wow. They had a self-contained slice of Disney World. That's what it says, outside of Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. So they were wow. isolated. I did read one of the basketball players tried to sneak a girl in, and they, they made him stay off the game for I don't know how many how many game somebody's gonna always try the system of course and then they don't you know when they when you look at them they're exercising and they're doing they're playing and doing what they need to do you don't see them with masks on so you got to be really tight i know on the rules yeah because they did not play with masks that's the point so you putting people you know at risk right you couldn't be bringing somebody in from the outside Mm -mm. bottom line bottom line but, yeah, so they, they won their 17th championship and their first with wow. LeBron James as their centerpiece. Uh, and they had all kinds of write-up. This was written by the New York Times. It was saying that the Los Angeles Lakers defeated the Miami Heat in six games to take home the franchise's 17th 
championship. It was the fourth title for LeBron James. In spite of all the stuff they had to deal with, what do you think? You know, I mean, it, it was over some challenges. I don't know. I was trying to He won one with Cleveland, two with Miami, and, and the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And he's just 35. And he was named the MVP. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just still different, even even for all the sports, you know, because Nate, he's always into the sports. He's still watching his soccer and all the other sports. Yeah. And even with tennis, I watch the tennis. It's just not the same when you don't have the, the folks, the spectators. No, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. You know, I just can't. I don't know. For some reason, I can't get into it as much as I, I used to. I tried to watch it a little bit when Serena was playing. But after that, I didn't watch the finals with uh, Djokovic and, and Nadal. I mean, I tried to stay when I, you know, when Stevens was in and Madison and all of them. But I just, I, when they dropped out, I dropped out. Right. And, and, and like I said, with me, yeah, I can watch those games and stuff. But for all the stuff, tennis, um, basketball, that's what I would love watching and stuff and so forth and so on. I still can't get in it without the spectators. I'm sorry. (laughs) It just, it it doesn't seem as exciting, but maybe that's just me. At all. At all. Now, the soccer players, they're playing without an uh, an audience, right? Right. And then it's funny how they have the recordings of the music and you can see the the recordings of the the players. I mean, the spectators, it sounds like it's a whole bunch of fans and crowds it's interesting how they how they try to they try to pump it up (laughs) but it's still not the same sorry but I guess that's a part of adjusting to this new era that we're in right Mm -hmm. well Rafael Nadal he did win the French Open um in spite of In spite of the weather, they were talking about the weather. It's going to be rainy and it's cold and he's not oh. used to that and so forth and so on. But, yeah, he still yep. won. He did. He still won. He's got to go down as a GOAT to one of the greatest of all times as well. In addition to, did he beat Federer's record or what was, I saw something about Federer. Yeah, Federer posted on social media. He posted a, a congratulations, but he's the he's the one. I don't know if he's beat Federer records, but he's big time. You know, Rafael Nadal, that's his spot, the French Open. That's where he wins the most. And so he has a record 13th title winning at the French Open. And he's seated at number two. Wow. He seated at number two, and he just gave a big thrashing to the number one, Djokovic. He he killed him pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. This time. Yeah, yeah. That's the latest. Kudos for him. I mean, at that level, because Nadal has had some injuries. Big time. He's had some injuries where he's had to come out. Yes, I know. It's just interesting how he and all of those high-level athletes, how they have serious injuries, but they still come back and play after. It's unbelievable. I know. Well, you know, it just shows how dedicated they are to rehabilitation and stuff like that. They put the time in to rehabilitate. Right. 
and then they come back and at, win. At, at that level, you're talking millions of dollars like football players. When I had my knee surgery, I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't know how they come back that fast. Well, if you making a million plus $18 million, you're in that gym doing your rehab every day. Yes, yes, and then they pumping you with, with um, medicines and, and so forth. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what they do, right? <laughs> yep. That's it. Yep. Here's the latest. I was looking through the latest on the, the sports and things of what was happening. And I was really, I was so glad to see this. This was written in the Golf Wire. And it's talking about founder of Therapeutic Golf Program for Hope seeks to grow audience participation. And when I looked, I was like, that's Mindy Durr. Remember we had her on our show talking about Therapeutic yes. Golf? Remember? Yes, I remember her yes she had multiple sclerosis yes and she was the founder of the therapeutic golf she is the founder for um for hope you know and that's where i got a chance to meet her years ago because of my father brother bill his injury and so right remember yeah that's I how i do i and he loved golf. Yes, and that's how I got connected with her. Yes. Um, there was a write-up about her in the Golf Wire, and it talks about, it says, golf is experiencing a swell in popularity and participation thanks largely to its broad acceptance as a social distance activity. The sports also provided a much-needed respite from the pressures of dealing with a pandemic and affords an opportunity to be outdoors. In fact, some would say that it's therapeutic. And that's the philosophy of Mindy Durr's golf therapeutic program for hope, which she developed in 1989 and continues today. And so it goes on talking about how that for Four decades, Durr's aim has been to combine a personal love of golf with helping others. Those aging with chronic conditions such as brain injuries, uh, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, or stroke. Durr's work is recognized throughout the country. Today, her organization is a part of Ohio Health Healthcare Neuroscience Center. Durr is an advisor to Ohio Health for Hope. But they go on and talk about how that, you know, yes, even though she's currently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, she has resumed an active lifestyle. She firmly believes that golf could lead to health recovery and hope. And so she wants to keep because her new mission is to share the spirit of golf and its direct connection to wellness through education, public speaking and consulting. And so, yes, the Ohio State University graduate believes that the introduction of health recovery through golf will help individuals and organization in golf, healthcare, and communities realize the importance of golf as a tool to improve quality of life. And so, yes, I wanted to give her a kudos because, yes, it is important that she gets the word out. We believe in what she 
is promoting that therapeutic golf. And yeah, that's her vision. Her vision is to continue to promote the wonders and power of golf through her consulting service, also through public speaking. And she also creates tailored programs, therapeutic programs. And so kudos to you, Mindy Durr, and for all of those folks that want to get in touch with her you can go to Mindy Durr, D-E-R-R dot com. So what do you say, D, to that? <laughs> Congratulations to her. Kudos to her. That's great. We discovered her first. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so what's the latest, D? Well, the latest is that uh, vaccine development is going fast and furious. The latest is we're seeing an uptick in 33 for hospitalization with respect to COVID. I think the good news is we're not seeing the uptick in morbidity or mortality. Let me put it that way. Morbidity, yes, when people get it. But mm-hmm. mortality, because I think we have a better handle on treating it. Mm-hmm. So that's the good news. But the bad news is people are still not social distancing, wearing their masks and washing their hands. Mm-hmm. I think there's the people are still dealing with quarantine fatigue. So I just think that everybody needs to be mindful. You might not you might be done with the virus, but it's not done with you. There it is. There's an article, what, Johnson and Johnson? Did you want to talk more about yeah. that? Yeah, so we're 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 tracking these companies that are doing vaccine development and in the last forty eight hours and drug development. There have actually been two companies that have come out in addition to Johnson & Johnson. Johnson & Johnson halted their vaccine trial program because the patient became, had some, some issues, became sick. They put a pause on that one. And just recently, Eli Lilly mm. who was working on a monoclonal antibody. You know, those are those drugs that President Trump took. Mm-hmm. They have halted that study with Eli Lilly to look at some patients who have had a patient or patients who've had some problems with that. Now, that makes three companies that have pulled out. September, AstraZeneca have put a pause their clinical trial because of a patient having some alleged neurological problems. So the good news is this is how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work when you find a problem in these clinical trials. You need to halt it, especially since we know that these vaccine trials are being pushed forward fast, that if the governing body, I was on a phone call today with Pfizer, and the good news is most of these companies have an independent data safety group that's not part of the organization, that's independently looking at side effects and safety profiles. And if something alerts, and like you don't want the fox guarding the chicken, so you wouldn't want somebody from Pfizer looking at their safety data. You want somebody who's not part of Pfizer looking at their safety data. And some of these companies, all, all of these companies are doing that. So, I mean, the, the bad news is that maybe Johnson & Johnson won't have a vaccine as fast as somebody else, but the good news is they won't push it forward fast when somebody gets sick from it. So that's where we're at on that. So that means all the talk about us having this vaccine right away is probably not practical, huh? No. Talking to Pfizer today, they're expecting a vaccine at the end of December. But all that still, I ask the question, if you get one patient who has a problem, it will derail it and it'll still be pushed back. So, I, you know, 
I think I continue to say realistically we're looking at vaccines at least coming to the public, I don't think until March or April. And those will be for healthcare workers who want to take it, healthcare workers, frontline people, and people that are most vulnerable who want to take it to it, not the average person. Okay. You know, we always keep hearing about COVID reinfection. What about that? There's a, 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 an article that came out because we're always saying, well, is it, a, is it a new infection or did they just not get over the one that they had? Mm. And there was an article that came out that said COVID reinfection, man gets COVID twice and second hit more severe. So this is a case where a 25-year-old man needed hospital treatment after his lungs could not get enough oxygen. Although reinfections are rare, he did have it. This was in the Lancet Infectious Disease Journal. So he was diagnosed in March of 25th, 2020. Then he tested positive in April. He resolved all his symptoms at the end of April. May, he tested negative for the virus on two separate occasions. In May 28th, he developed symptoms of COVID again. And on June the 5th, April, May, June, three months after he was diagnosed and his first negative test was in May, June the 5th, he tested positive for a second time. And this time, he, um, the scientists say that patient, the patient caught coronavirus twice rather than the original infection becoming dormant and then bouncing back. A comparison of the genetic codes of the virus taken during each bout of symptoms showed they were too distinct to be caused by the same infection. And that's the information that you need. So they went one step further. So our findings signal that a previous infection may not necessarily protect against future infections. And that's one of the things that people, they're looking at vaccines too, is that mm-hmm. when you develop antibodies, nobody knows how long it lasts. So people are like, well, you get COVID. And I think like somebody that's our leader, Cricket, said today that <laughs> if, you have, if you had COVID, you're immune. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily true. So this is one of those situations where this guy may have developed antibodies, but they certainly weren't around when he developed the second infection. So, so does everyone become immune, even people with mild symptoms? How long does it last? What kind of protection do we get? So these are all important questions for understanding how the virus will affect us long term and may have implications for vaccines, which I just talked about, and also this thing about herd immunity, which I want to make a comment about. I just heard a scientist this morning say herd immunity is when, you know, you get a whole bunch of people infected and it protects the virus doesn't have any place to go. So in the United States, if you expect herd immunity, which will be about 200 plus million people, mm-hmm. you will have to accept two to three million more deaths. Mm. So if people are willing to have COVID parties and get everybody infected, you will have to accept two to three more million deaths, including, as I say to everybody, your own. I know, but see, so, that's that's the point, though. So, most people, most people don't think of themselves. They they always talk about that, but they don't think that they will be in. They might be in that count, including your own. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're running around thinking that you can have like chicken pox parties and all of that COVID parties, you will have to accept the fact that the herd immunity may and and Sweden tried it and it was a colossal failure. Mm-hmm. Died. They thought that maybe their economy wouldn't suffer. It did. So herd immunity is not the answer. Mm. I'm glad you said that. There we have it. There it is. And thank you so much, Dee. You are welcome. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood Doe. 
I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Yes, and today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 59. Now, our first article, it talks about do fasting diets, and this is a good article because people always ask me all this question about the intermittent fasting and so forth. But there's an article that's written specifically on this. Do fasting diets really work? New study finds little benefit. This was written by Health Day News. It says more and more people are turning to intermittent fasting to lose weight. But the jury is still out on whether the tactic works. In a new clinical trial, researchers found that one type of intermittent fasting did help overweight and obese adults drop a couple of pounds over 12 weeks. But they fared no better than a comparison group who ate whenever they wanted. The findings conflict with some recent studies suggesting that diets are effective and Researchers said that this is not the final word on intermittent fasting. For one, many people find the tactic easy to follow. According to Krista Verade, a professor of nutrition at the University of Illinois at uh, Chicago, and she said, and that's a plus since lasting weight loss requires sustainable lifestyle changes. Verade, who was not involved in a new study, does her own research into intermittent fasting, specifically the version known as time-restricted eating. It gives people a limited time window for eating each day. In a recent study, Verity's team found that the diet helped people lose about 3% of their starting weight over eight weeks. In contrast, People who stuck with their usual eating routine saw no change. The principle behind time-restricted eating is simple. People don't have to change what they eat, but simply limit themselves to dining between certain hours. Verity said, there's a natural calorie restriction that happens just by watching the clock. 
people seem to like it because it's simple. There's no calorie counting and you don't have to buy any special foods. But liking something does not mean it's effective. And despite the popularity of fasting type diets, only recently have studies begun to test them. And so a new trial published online September the 28th in JAMA Internal Medicine is the latest. For the study, the researchers randomly assigned 116 overweight or obese adults to either follow a time-restricted diet for 12 weeks or stick with their usual eating habits. The time-restricted group was told to only eat between noon and 8 p.m. In the end, those participants lost about two pounds on average. But people who stuck with their usual routine also lost a bit of weight, which meant there was no statistically meaningful difference between the two groups. The researchers led by Dr. Ethan Weiss of the University of California, San Francisco, acknowledged that their findings contradict some previous research. A potential reason for this, they speculated, is that the eight-hour time window for eating was not optimal. In her study, Verity tested both a four- and six-hour window. Both were similarly effective for weight loss. She noted that participants in the new study did not keep track of what they ate, which in a study setting leaves unanswered questions. There is no way of knowing whether people made any changes in calorie or nutrient intake. Jennifer Bruning is a registered dietitian and a spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. She was not surprised by the findings. This is what she said, simply telling people to eat between noon and 8 p.m. without any portion control or other diet advice may not be the best way to induce weight loss. And in a clinical trial, people are randomly assigned to a diet they may or may not like. In the real world, Bruning pointed out, people would generally choose intermittent fasting because it appeals to them and would adjust the eating time window to fit their lifestyle. Bruning said, if you find intermittent fasting appealing for its simplicity, it can be safely undertaken by most people. But she added, some people should take extra care and consult their doctors first, including those on time-sensitive medications that need to be taken with food, people with diabetes, and people with a history of eating disorders. No matter what eating plan a person chooses, this is what Bruning said, weight loss goals should not come at the expense of good nutrition. Verity agreed that for the sake of overall health, people should pay attention to what they eat, not just when. She also said that like any diet, time restriction is not for everyone or without downsides. In the first week or two, she said, people do get headaches, dizziness, and nausea, and some give up. What do you think, D? I thought this was a good article. You thought it was a good article too? Yeah, I did. I mean, first of all, it too goes to there's no quick fix. There were a lot of flaws, like they said, in looking at the data. Like, you don't know whether people change, you know, where they're eating cake, you know, for the, you don't know whether there was portion control. 
But all those things that we know that lead to health living, health healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. were lacking when you you know minimize people's eating and let them do the intermittent fasting thing. So I mean, the data didn't show that they lost any more weight. I mean, right? Anyway, right. Well, I always say, and it was very interesting. Somebody text me, a friend of mine text me and, and was asking me about the ketogenic diet and all that. And what do I think about it? And should they do it? And I said, you know, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to go by what you need to do to jumpstart keto, you can jumpstart your your right. weight loss plan, intermittent fasting, you right. can jumpstart and get into right. that mindset. But at the end of the day, you know, once you do that, it's not sustainable. So you need to really learn how oh. to to eat healthy, a well-balanced diet, you know? Exactly. And it's got to be like, not diet. I think what we try to tell people on this show, it's got to be lifestyle change. You just can't look at it like a diet because a diet is, we think, something that we do and then, you know, we fall off the wagon. It's got to be lifestyle change. Yes, it's your your healthy eating plan. How's that? <laughs> right. Exactly. Go ahead and do the after the hospital stay to COVID, patients may face months of rehabilitation. We now know that those people that have been infected with COVID, they have a name for them now called long haulers. Mm. means that we are seeing that even if they get over COVID, they're still having issues months afterwards. And we can say months, because we weren't able to say this, you know, because the disease was so new, mm-hmm. people were getting infected in March. We couldn't talk about long haulers in April, but now we're into October. Not long ago, Ellen Washington, this is from the New York Times, was a busy executive who traveled the country on business trips while trying to stay healthy and active, walking two miles a day for exercise. But then that came to an end when he developed COVID in June. Mr. Washington spent three weeks lying in a hospital bed in a medically induced coma, so he had a really bad case of it. When he woke up, he discovered his body had deteriorated. He had bed sores, was too weak to walk or stand. He had nerve damage in his legs, neck, shoulders, and he had memory loss and kidney failure. Mm. So while he survived COVID, Mr. Washington, who's 60, is now grappling with the aftermath of the disease to regain his strength and motor skills. He now goes to physical therapy at the Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, specializes in helping people rehabilitate from COVID. So since leaving the hospital, he's had to relearn simple tasks like memory loss, like tying your shoes, muscle weakness, getting dressed and getting up in the morning. He said he came back from death's door, but he's got a lot to do. So even after surviving COVID, many patients who are critically ill face long and arduous recovery after requiring extensive physical rehabilitation. The problems that they are encountering are wide range, including muscle atrophy, kidney damage. That's why I told you that that Dr. Joe and I follow each other Mm -hmm. on every COVID patient. Mm -hmm. Reduced lung capacity, meaning it's hard for them to even get out of bed in the morning. Many of them struggle with cognitive and psychological issues memory loss, depression, shortness of breath, fatigue. Doctors have known for some time that survivors of critical illness can develop long-term physical, cognitive, and mental health problems, which can persist for years even after they leave the ICU. The phenomenon is known as post-intensive care syndrome, and the risk factors for it are especially common after patients were hospitalized now for COVID. These are people that have spent long time on the ventilator, Mm. heavy sedation, organ failure, acute respiratory distress 
syndrome. And I don't know if a lot of the audience understand there's something called pronation. So a lot of these patients, because of the way we treat patients in intensive care, mm -hmm. they spend a lot of time on their stomach. Mm -hmm. So they're in the intensive care unit on their stomach, sedated, and they have all kinds of sores. Sometimes it develops because the ventilator machine will press against their lip and cause necrosis of the lip mm. or um, swelling and all of that, different parts of their body because prone, and the reason that they're prone is that lying down, they found gives mm. the lungs more chance to get more oxygen. And expand, so yeah. Pandemic, huh? And expand, yeah, the lungs. Yeah, to expand, exactly. So the scale of the coronavirus pandemic with more than 7 million people in the United States suggests that a significant number of patients who survive will go on to develop this post-intensive care syndrome, said Dr. Michelle Beal a pulmonary critical care specialist from the Cleveland Clinic. And a recent report by public health experts at Harvard estimated that millions of Americans could require intensive care by the time the pandemic is over. And another report in the Medical Journal of Heart and Lung suggested that the number of COVID patients needing rehabilitation could become another health crisis. Mm. So while Richard Davis here, a study in Italy found that 87% of patients who were hospitalized with COVID had at least one persistent health problem, such as joint pain, fatigue, labored breathing, two months after they were sick, and 44% of patients in the study, which was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, reported a worsened quality of life. This article in the New York Times then goes on to say that since Mr. Washington, lifelong nerve damage can be a particularly devastating consequence of COVID-19. Can you imagine? Mm. Healthy, maybe running marathon, and here you are. The British Journal of Anesthesia found that nerve injuries were common among patients on ventilators, just like I said, because they are frequently placed face down. Mm -hmm. This practice called proning improves their breathing, but it compresses nerves, shoulders, legs, and limbs. And it's so depressing when you go through. That's why. That's why this surge that we're seeing now with. COVID is bringing back such bad memories for me of how it was in April, walking through that intensive care unit, never seeing anybody's face because everybody was flat on their stomach. Mm. So depressed. Mm. So, and it says it's not just in older people, they're finding it now in younger people who, like I said, people who could do 5Ks and marathons are, are having this problem. So, again, it, it was a good article just to show that Having COVID, and now that we're about eight months out, these people are going to have some serious post-COVID injuries. And one I heard yesterday on the on the uh, news, mm -hmm. some people are, are reporting hearing, permanent hearing loss. Mm. So we just do not know the extent of this. It, it's the nastiest virus that I've ever seen in my lifetime as being an infectious disease specialist. Like, you know, we had polio, well... That caused paralysis, and I mean that was bad, and you couldn't breathe and stuff. But this virus attacked every single solitary organ system. It is the most vicious virus or bacteria that I have ever seen in my life, and mm. I've been doing infectious diseases for over forty years. It attacks. It's almost like diabetes. It's the diabetes of infectious diseases. You know how diabetes. Yes. Yes. Solitary organ system yes covid too wow yeah covid does too it's absolutely and i'm and i bet after we're out for a year 
we're going to have more stuff uh, uh, talking about this because we still don't know the extent of what's going to happen. And what about the children that are born of COVID moms? In a year or two from now, what kind of effects are we going to see in these COVID kids? I know. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's depressing. I, I mean, I hear you. I bet your mouth is hanging over there. It's depressing. It is. And just that we're going back to where we were with the sick patients. We're having more patients now admitted to ICU. I think we're doing better with the treatment, but there's still those patients that I walked through that hallway. I'll never forget. And they're all in their stomachs. You can't see you know, nobody. You, can, you can't see anybody's face because they have to keep them that way. And they're that way for weeks sedated. Damn it. So they're not waking up until you wake them up. Mm. So, and, but- you know, mental health things. as mental health post. They didn't talk about that a lot here. A lot of the mental health issues associated with long haulers and stuff with COVID. That's a whole nother, you know, going from being perfectly healthy, running marathons and all this, to now having nerve damage where you can barely get around and somebody has to help. It's got to be psychologically devastating. Oh, I know. And then look at the cost, though. I'm sure the cost is just crazy. Oh, we forgot to talk about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know if insurance going to cover all that. I doubt it. I doubt it. And I guess it's one of those things where I say thank God for Medicare. Because Medicare does seem to cover a lot more things than private insurance. But then what about those people who've lost their jobs out of work who get COVID? The hospitals just are incurring a huge amount of expense. And then as this is surging, more PPEs are needed, more N95s, more ventilators, you know, and it goes on and on, more drugs, all of this. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. You know, and the doctors, the healthcare workers, nurses and doctors, we're still, you know, we're still on the, we're still in the trenches. We're still on the front line. There's no end in sight. None. No end in sight. So kudos to you guys. I mean, really? just no end in sight thank you we just you know we say that's why sometimes it just angers me you're out there taking a bullet and then people are like in huge open air venues cricket cricket with no mask cricket cricket that's all we can say is cricket i know so yeah Wow. Oh, Vicky, just want to mention this extra pound thing, if I might. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go uh, ahead. COVID, because that's something that we talked about. You just talked about it. Uh-huh. Go ahead. You know, we were talking about dieting and so forth. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, obesity is emerging as a major risk factor mm-hmm. for COVID. And obese Americans are more likely to become dangerously ill if they're infected mm-hmm. with the new coronavirus. And now public health officials are warning that a much broader segment of the population, those people who have excess weight, may increase the odds of a severe disease. The warning came from the CDC, may have serious implications for Americans, while about 40% of U.S. adults are obese, another 32% are simply overweight, among the highest rates of obesity and overweight in the world. So by the new calculus, nearly three-quarters of Americans may be at increased risk of severe COVID-19. It's important to make sure the public and individuals are aware, said Dr. Brooke Belay, a medical officer at the CDC. The message is to strive to make healthy changes, healthy food choices, like we were just saying. Mm -hmm. Even when you do that, you still may be infected, but at least your BMIs will be down. And so other chronic conditions, cancer, chronic kidney disease, heart disease, and sickle cell are some of the other asthma 
the cardiovascular disease or some of the other comorbid things. So what kind of BMIs are they talking about? A BMI between 18.5 and 24.9 are considered healthy. Overweight starts with a BMI of 25 to 29, and obesity starts over 30. So someone who's 5'9 and weighs 125 to 168 is healthy. Above that, the individual is overweight, and at 203 pounds or higher, obese. And this greatly expands the risk to a pretty good chunk of the population. And today, when we were talking to Pfizer about their, their vaccine, we were, you know, were they excluding obese people? Mm-hmm. Well, they wouldn't have hardly anybody in the vaccine trials. So adipose tissue is itself biologically active. And that's what people have to understand. It causes metabolic changes and abnormalities, and adipose tissue promotes a state of chronic low-grade inflammation, mm-hmm. even without an infection. In addition, abdominal obesity, as you talked about here, which is common in men, may cause compression of the diaphragm, lungs, and chest cavity, mm-hmm. restricting breathing, making it more difficult to clear pneumonia. And so the CDC based this morning on a warning on a small number of studies that successfully differentiated between overweight and obesity, including a paper on risk factors for severe COVID-19 among patients in the UK mm. and a report analyzing the outcomes of more than 500 patients hospitalized in March and April at Downstate in Brooklyn. Among those patients, 43% were obese, 30% overweight, and 27% of a healthy weight. After adjusting for age, diabetes, and other factors, the researchers found that patients who were overweight or obese were at increased risk for requiring mechanical assistance with breathing and were more likely to die. The patient was published in July in the International Journal of Obesity. Surprisingly, the risk of being overweight was even greater than that linked to obesity. Mm-hmm. Overweight people are 40% more likely to die than healthy weight patients while obese patients were at a 30% greater risk compared with healthy weight patients. The findings clearly demonstrate an increased risk of severe COVID in anyone with a BMI over 25, according to Dr. Mohamed Nakamush-Bandi, an assistant professor of infectious disease at SUNY, and Rohan Manami, who's a medical student. But while obesity increased the risk of death for men, it did not do so for women. Mm. British study examined lifestyle risk among 307,000 men and women, 760 of whom had COVID. People with the virus who were overweight were roughly 30% more likely to be hospitalized than those with a healthy weight. Those who were obese were about twice as likely compared with healthy weight individuals. And lastly, the study published in July in the Journal of Brain Behavior and Immunity also looked at factors like smoking, alcohol consumption, and levels of physical activity and concluded that moderate exercise reduced the odds that an infected person would be hospitalized. Socially distanced physical activity may be a good intervention, said Dr. Mark Hammer, who's professor of sports and exercise medicine at University College London and an author of the paper. It gives immune protection and also helps with weight loss. Physical activity, which has been extensively studies can reduce the risk of developing chronic conditions linked to excess weight like diabetes, high blood pressure, but it won't entirely eliminate the risk of impaired immune function and heightening inflammation. So 
In summary, overweight is quite different than other diseases in terms of inflammation. The fat tissue are inflamed for a long period of time, and it affects immune function. More over time, it is a continuous insult. And, Vicki, I don't want to eat another thing after reading that doggone <laughs> I don't want water. Oh, my God, how depressing. But here's the thing. The reason why, because we were just talking about when I was teaching about adipose tissue and all that, it's a type of connected tissue, but we, we were talking about how that it's just that the whole studying fat tissue is just interesting because, you know, it is. yeah, most people don't understand when we talk about inflammation, they don't really talk about that if you're obese, that your adipose tissue, they are in that state of what they say, it leads to a production of pro-inflammatory cytokines. Right, right. And that's why. And it's almost like adipose is another separately functioning organ that does separate stuff like estrogen production. Yes. These kinds of things. Yes, right. All of these kinds of things that people don't uh, don't know and don't understand. It's like a separate organ system producing all these things. Right. And so when we talk about inflammation, since, you know, um, pro-inflammatory cytokines and, you know, just over time, you know, inflammation, then it leads to these adipose tissue. They It leads to the stuff that most people hear about, insulin resistance and, you know, metabolic dysfunction and all of that. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's back to what we've always talked about. You've got to really hone in now more than ever. We got to get our, our weight under control, but also the lifestyle, the eating and the exercising. Right. Because that's going to lead to saving our lives, but also lead to helping us to deal with COVID if we happen to get it. Exactly and precisely. Exactly. So there it is. But yeah, that's that's been coming back to obesity, you know, and its relationship to severe complications from COVID. You know, a lot of research coming yeah. out. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, you can you can just probably see with your patients. I'm sure, you know, you see quite a few folks that are. Well, you know, we have been observing this early on. Uh-huh. So anecdotally, we have been observing this early on in our patients. And I'm surprised they say that it wasn't the same in women. I found it in women and men, almost more women than men. That study said it wasn't more in women. My own experience, it has been maybe equal. Okay. But but we did understand and realize that obesity was playing a factor because it seemed to be that commonality in addition to high blood pressure and diabetes, overweight, and not just overweight, I mean obesity. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad now that they're able to come out with some definitive information and maybe that people will get themselves together because, like I said, you might be tired of a coronavirus, but it's not tired of you, so it's time to get yourself together, us to get all of us to get ourselves together. Big time, because we just got to be, we want to not, I always tell the students, look, do all the things that you can do so you won't be a good host for this virus. You want to be a hostile host. That's exactly it. Good point. You want to be a hostile host to COVID. Good point, Vicky. <laughs>
good point. That's it. So we doing all we can do. I'm doubling up on my efforts. Me <laughs> too. After that article, I'm going to quadruple my efforts. <laughs> all right. And that article was um, in the New the New York Times. It was, it was called, in the New York Times, yeah. Yeah, and it was called Extra Pounds May Raise Risk of Severe COVID-19. I will talk about the last article, How Will We Cope with the Pandemic Fall? This was written yeah. in the New York Times as well. It says mental health experts offer advice on how to handle the return to indoor life the cooler weather will bring. Okay, so it says Abby Gardo is dreading the winter. The cold will force her family back into the same kind of lockdown they faced in the early days of the pandemic. It's consistently, and this is what she says, Miss Gardo, it's constantly on my mind. An assistant professor of graphic and interactive design at Temple University. Miss Gardo, Gardo's husband, Chris, has lymphoma, so the family needs to be particularly careful. He's in remission, but since chemotherapy has weakened his immune system, particularly elevating the risk of COVID-19, the family stayed in lockdown until the weather grew warmer in late May, allowing safe outdoor activities. At last, they could ride bikes with their two children, explore the park, and picnic with friends. But soon this will end. The isolation will return. Ms. Guido um, recently began taking the antidepressant Lexapro to calm the looming anxiety. And she said, kind of in preparation for the feelings I know will be coming this winter. Now, millions can relate. The summer brought relief for many, outdoor brunches, rambling walks, beers on the stoop. Yet, in the last of 2020's cruel twists, the plunge in temperature may cause a surge in infections and stress. Now, Kim Gorgans, a professor of psychology at the University of Denver, said, this is going to be brutal. I think it's unprecedented on every scale. The stress of heading back indoors does not exist in a vacuum, Dr. Gorgon said, but is part of a bleak mix of concerns and anxiety over the presidential election, economic uncertainty, wildflowers, protests over racial inequalities, and that all of this collectively is reaching a kind of fever pitch. Now, this is especially true for underprivileged and marginalized um, communities where large multi-generational families are often crammed into one home. This is said by Dag Maui Dagnu, a psychologist with the Department of Veterans Affairs and co-founder of a volunteer organization providing mental health resources to the Ethiopian American community in Philadelphia. Dr. Dagnew said, some of us have the luxury where space is taken for granted, but for low-income people, the stress is related to basic needs such as ventilation, childcare, or helping older parents. All of us in every circumstance are dealing with a cumulative toll of six plus months of the pandemic. Now, this was said by Bethany Teachman. She said, we're moving from sprint mode to marathon mode. She's a 
a University of Virginia psychologist specializing in anxiety. She added that since stressors tend to pile up over time, we'll be going into winter feeling depleted and exhausted. How can we handle the stress of heading back indoors? What are the best strategies? Dr. Teachman recommends a three-step approach. Acknowledge, find alternatives, and then make a plan. Start by recognizing that it's okay and even helpful for people to grieve what they have lost, said Dr. Teachman, because there are real losses. This kind of acceptance is crucial for emotional regulation, explained David Rosemarin, the founder of the Center for Anxiety in New York and an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He said, accept the fact that it might be a crappy winter. Don't try to fight it. Let the emotions come. It's a wave. It crushes over you and then it passes. Dr. Teachman said, once we've acknowledged the hardship, the critical piece is to not stay stuck there. We can recognize that things are hard without wallowing. Identify what we have lost, such as socializing, and then find alternatives, maybe online meetups, a pod with another family, or simply bundling up. Dr. Teachman said, if you have the opportunity, invest in a real good winter coat. Look into a little heater to put on a patio. Planning ahead is important. Plan now before it gets very cold, Dr. Teachman said. This is partly for practical reasons that heater might be in back order and partly for psychological ones as it's actually much harder to make and implement plans once you've already feeling anxious and stressed. Dr. Dagnew noted that uncertainty is a key reason we feel stress. So having a plan is the antidote for uncertainty. When we move on down into this article, it talks about how that things we shouldn't overlook. Eating healthy, we always talk about that. Exercising regularly, this can help us cope with the pandemic fall. If we follow a routine, it will help us to maintain a sense of control, limiting alcohol and getting plenty of sleep. Dr. Gorgans said that's where we'll get the biggest award when we get enough sleep because sleep is the common denominator across every mental illness. She also recommended that we limit exposure to the 24-hour inflammatory that's what I liked about this article, incendiary news cycle. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, because we do listen to the news, and it says that will only get louder in advance on November the 3rd. <laughs> I know, right? So let us probably cut down on all that bad news, right? <laughs> Turn the TV off, watch a Netflix movie or something. Do that, right, right. And so the article continues to say, as we nudge back indoors, we'll be making constant calculations about what is acceptable, what is an acceptable le level of risk, which varies for each person. You know, the question might be asked, can a friend swing by for a brief indoor visit if you both wear masks? You know, can you then offer a cup of coffee, which will mean taking off the mask? Is that okay if you stay six feet apart? And if you decide that's allowable, can you just let them stay for lunch or to watch the game? 
Well, to lower the stress of that never-ending COVID-19 math, Dr. Teachman suggested having some kind of system so it doesn't feel overwhelming every time. You might make decisions based on checking the test positivity rate from your local health department or guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Teachman said she uses the online risk calculator at microcovid.org, which uses estimates from COVID-19 studies to help users quantify the risk of various scenarios. Also, and this was said by Nicole Davis, a clinical director of crisis services at Seattle's Crisis Connections Hotline. She says, don't underestimate the power of a simple phone call, reaching out and asking for help. It's really basic and it's still very dependable. And so she added that the crisis call centers National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 are excellent resources for anyone experiencing acute anxiety and that you don't need to call an emergency. You can directly call this line. And finally, Dr. Hoffman suggested that our end game should be to flip adversity into opportunities. Dr. Hoffman said, for anybody who wants to be more resilient, this is the magical thing to do. And so he advised focusing on meaningful projects and connections. Positive mindset matters. Goals give purpose. Dr. Hoffman said, we cannot change the pandemic. It is here. We have to accept it. Instead, he advised, find where you want to go with your life and go in this direction. I like this article because basically it's saying we have to think out of the box, have a plan ready, because when you have a plan, that kind of decreases the uncertainty and the anxiety. And to also remember that there is help out there, you know, pick up the phone. What do you think, D? Yeah, yeah. Pick up the phone. That's what I say, you know, because we are going to, you know, research has shown that, yeah, the mental health experts, they're getting very busy right now with the pandemic. Yeah. Because a lot of people are finding it hard. And you just said with these uh, long haulers, you know, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, waking up and realizing your whole life has changed. Permanently, almost. Permanently, like something that wasn't your fault, an infection. I know. So I would say for folks at the end of the day, let's do all we can to control our lives to a certain extent. Let's try to be safe, but let's also work on, you know, what we can do. Our mental health as well. Having that positive mindset because some things we can't change, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, some things we can't change. Well, Dee, this ends our show. So do you have any tips that you want us to think about? A couple tips. I think we talked about health, you know, health exercise and all of that. I want to stress moving forward that obesity is an independent risk factor and it's part of what we talk about all the time on this show, healthy lifestyles, exercise. So this just continues to reemphasize and talk about those things that we talk about all the time anyway. I would say 
We just got to start if we haven't started doing those things that we need to do to do what we call healthy living. It's not too late. You know, I know at the end of the year, folks start making those New Year's resolutions. Look, you got two months. Come on now. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, we can finish strong. Yeah, let's finish strong. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com. <laughs>